Section 8 of Northern Trails, Book 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Melissa Jean. Northern Trails, Book 2, by William J. Long. Out of the Deeps, Part 1. The sun was setting gloriously behind the bleak western headlands as her little schooner doubled Goose Cape, nodding a solemn good night with her jib-boom to the row of solemn seals on the ice floe, and then headed up slowly into the great silent bay to her night's anchorage. Between us and the unknown waters towered the icebergs, some grounded fast in a hundred fathoms, others drifting majestically in the slow currents, with the long ocean swells racing and breaking over the wide green shelves of ice, and boom-booming their hollow thunder in the deep caverns. Like a row of mighty sentinels, they stretched clear across our course, from the black rocks of Maiden's Arm to the towering cliffs of Bulow Cove, forbidding all entrance to the lonely lands and waters beyond. Every crevice and great hollow on their shining side seemed to be poured full of molten colour, while the sunset caught their glittering pinnacles and broke into a glory beyond all words. Hundreds of seabirds, gulls, and penguins, and hagdowns, and unknown fishers of the deep, had settled upon the icebergs and folded the great wings that were weary with the long day's flight. Here they clustered in a dense mass in some great hollow, like a mother's shoulder, talking softly to one another. More often they settled one by one in an endless line upon the topmost shining ridges, where they stood out like delicate ebony carvings against the rugged roof-line of the icebergs. In the whole stupendous scene, rock cliffs and ice mountains and boundless sea and burning sky, the eye came back again and again and rested on these tiny dots against the sunset. The ear heard not the crash of falling ice, nor the roar of the smitten sea, nor the hollow boom of breakers in the caverns, it listened for a low chatter, soft as the talk of birds in their sleep, which spoke of life and the gladness of life in the midst of the vast solitude. Behind us, as we watched the scene and the wild duck wore away to find a safe opening between the bergs, the dusk came creeping up over the ocean's brim. In front, a marvellous light of sunset and ice and coloured sea beckoned, yet repelled us by its awful glory. All around us was silence, vast, profound, palpable. A silence of bygone ages, which hushed the sea-birds' chatter, and which was only deepened and intensified by the far-off surge of breakers on the shoal and the nearer roll of thunder in the ice-caves. Then out of the silence a groan, an awful sound in the primeval stillness of the place, rumbled over the startled sea. It was as if the abyss itself, silent for untold ages, had at last found a voice, and the voice was a moan of pain. The man at the wheel, a grizzled old fisherman of St. Barb's, who took sublimity and cod-traps, and storm and sunshine, and roaring sea, and the sweet rest of snug harbours, all alike in seasoned indifference, whirled sharply and swept the sea with a glance like a needle-thrust. Joe the cook tumbled up from the forecastle, his mouth open to take everything in. "'What's that, boy?' he demanded of the skipper, with the freedom of Newfoundland fishermen. But the skipper only shook his head, and looked seaward whence the sound had come. "'Breakers on Brayhout Shoal,' said the man at the wheel doubtfully at last. "'Air in the ice caves,' echoed Jack. But at the word the low sound rumbled on our ears again, and we all knew instantly that it came from some living creature. Noel the Indian pointed suddenly to windward, where a hump of water separated itself from the sea, and swirled and bubbled like soup in a pot. A huge whale broke the surface. Something flashed beside it, and then another, and the whale was gone. But the awful moan was in our ears again. On the instant all discipline was lost in a great curiosity, as I grabbed the wheel from the grizzled old fisherman, while he and Noel tugged at the main sheet, and the skipper jumped the jibs, and the cook ran for the skipper's glass, 
and the little wild duck whirled up to the wind and went poking her jib-boom at the soapy lather where the whale had disappeared now a whale is so big that puny men may be pardoned the supposition that he has no ordinary feelings all the way up the west coast and through the straits where we had struggled against tide and gale and fog and ice and the deadly monotony of cramped limbs and close quarters my friend had amused himself by shooting bullets at the whales that crossed her course as one would chuck peas at an elephant since we could rarely get near enough to study the huge creatures it was fun to stir them up and watch the sea seethe like a pot when they went down in a hurry a repeating rifle was usually standing by the foremast with which we sometimes added a dish to our fare of cod and lobsters and which served noel well in bagging a young seal for its oil and skin as the schooner lay balanced for hours at a time between wind and tide and we saw with weariness another day without gain and another salmon river unexplored there would be a sudden whoosh like the breath of forty locomotives and a great black back would come plunging up out of the depths then the weariness would vanish and all watched intently as somebody grabbed the rifle and sent the bullet skipping invariably they did no harm at all but only waked us up for the huge black back would go on ponderously on its way rising and sinking with bullets skipping like hornets athwart its path and lighting everywhere except on the shining hump when the magazine was exhausted noel would chuckle silently and go to sleep again the whales were about us continually in all shapes and sizes only a few of which were familiar the rest plunged into soundless deeps or followed their own endless trails into the fog like strange steamers unknown and unnamed now a shoal of playing dolphins would go rushing rolling past with a purring roar of smitten water like the low surge of breakers on the beach while over the mad stampede single individuals hurled themselves into the air in sheer exuberance of life and animal spirits again a troop of whales of some unknown species would gather silently around the fishing punts spying and peeking as inquisitive as so many blue jays once a stray right whale and again an unmeasured monster a sulphur bottom i judged from his enormous length and his high spouting steamed past like an express train making the wild duck seem of no size or consequence whatever sometimes a dozen of the leviathans would be inside at once again a solitary rorqual would cross our bows ponderously always alone yet maintaining apparently a secret communication with others of his kind scattered over twenty miles of ocean for though i never saw them approach each other they always appeared and vanished, turning to east or west altogether, as if a single impulse were leading them. Knowing little about the uncouth creatures, I contented myself with classifying them all, as sailors do, into big ones and little ones, and would watch for hours in the hope of getting near enough to one to observe him closely. Meanwhile, my friend and the sailors were rapidly and harmlessly going through the supply of cartridges. One day, when from an enormous depth a big whale shot his length up out of the sea, and fell back with a resounding splash and shot the air out of his lungs with the whoosh to waken the seven sleepers i grabbed the rifle thoughtlessly having jibbed at the others for their poor shooting and took a quick crack at the monster before he had fairly settled down to travel the steel-jacketed bullet caught him fair on the hump glanced through and went skipping out exultingly over the sea then so quick that it made one rub his eyes the huge form had disappeared and the sea thereabouts looked like a basin of soap spuds Bis, bis, but that tickled his backbone, cried the skipper. But for me, at least, one problem was solved effectually. The whale has feelings, no doubt about that. And for the rest of the trip, the rifle was kept in the cabin, and we began to watch the huge creatures with a less barbaric interest. End of section 8